Welcome back again to the Stories Beneath and my name is Margaret McKenna. I'm a visual artist and storyteller because I believe that every image has a story and every story has an image. So hello everybody and welcome along and huge apologies for being late very late this time, I think I've two weeks or so, I can't remember. But I have to say, we've had such a wonderful spell of good weather in Ireland here, and we still have. Please God, it'll last a bit longer. Praying here that it will, because I could live in this climate all the time. Just beautiful temperatures, early 20s, um, up to mid 20s, not too hot, wall to wall blue sky, and it's just perfect. Like, I mean, you couldn't ask for better. Um, and we've had such a kind of rainy, you know sort of windy April early May that this is so welcome and in Ireland we just have to take advantage of the weather and indeed I have because I have my art cabin here and I've been busy painting it and getting it sort of restored a bit for the winter because it's being in a, a log cabin I do need to uh, keep it um uh, keep it preserved especially in the climate we do have it's so damp in general it's very damp so um oh and I want a big shout out to Laura um McCormick who has who said had a big hello to me on the Mythical Ireland page on Facebook and she asked me was I uh, doing the podcast and I said I was and she said how much she enjoyed it so I really really appreciated that because sometimes I don't really know where I'm going with these you know in the terms of the fact that you're sitting here and you're talking to yourself and um you can feel a bit strange so it's really good to know that somebody is listening number one and that somebody is enjoying it even better still so today i'm going again as of course this podcast is about our place names and all the stories behind them so today i'm going to talk about a place that's really dear to me and that is um for abbey and for the general area of four uh four of course is known uh, well known in, in ireland for the seven wonders of four but we'll come back to them afterwards um, the place itself I love. There's a beautiful walk now they have through the, through the little village, across the Ben of Four, like the Hill of Four, and every time you go down there, there's new little seats to sit on, new little trees that have been planted, maybe plaques in memory of people. Um, it'll be hive, all very biodiverse, very um, just just uh, it's just wonderful place, and it's, and there's that peace in the town. There's an atmosphere in the town. I feel like going back into a medieval time when I go in there. Um, you see the old medieval archways, which are just beside the road, which would have been the main road in exits and entrance to the town, or the, as it would have been then. It's a little, literally a little village now. There's two pubs there, a coffee shop there. Um, there's the, the the old ruin of the jailhouse there. There's um, just it's just it, it, it's just atmosphere all around. And of course, it's needless to say, there's the monasteries. Which is the most important part, which, which we will come to in a, a shortly. But um, the place itself, Fower, is it comes from the Irish F O B H A R, Fower, Fower, Fower. It means um, a, a spring, and of course, it relates to the springs that come up. Um, you can see them. Well, you can see definitely see the water bubbling up to the surface, which is a very interesting kind of how the lay of the land around there actually, um, and of course. Um, it's associated especially though with um saint fehen or fehen um it's a soft ch sound so it's not fehen as it looks so many people say it's a much softer sound because it's um in irish we have a soft ch sound um but we'll, before we come to him this place is is seeped, steeped in like in history i mean you can feel it coming through the very pores of the land nearly if that makes sense um 
there's a holy well there, for example, and they believe that it had a megalithic um, cyst burial site beside it. So I can't, I, I must have another look at that actually properly and see where is there anywhere I can see the evidence of it. Um, and and anyway, that showed there's 5,000 years straight away. So there's been people came to this area for a long, long time. If you go look up left as you walk towards the monastery and look and you see that rocky outcrop on up above you. Um, the rocky outcrop is called Carrick Balor. And Carrick, of course, comes from the Irish Carrick, which is a rock in Ireland, Irish. And Balor, of course, is Balor of the Evil Eye, which is that kind of anti-hero um, associated with the uh, the god Lu, which we who we've mentioned before. Um, so obviously, I don't, and I don't actually know what the story is there, and I've really tried to find it, but obviously there's a connection between Balor and this outcrop, whether it's the fact, the shape of it or or what I don't know but we're again we're going back into the myths of mythology here we're going back into the very early times that this this land has had um you know has has been deemed worthy to have a have a, have a, a mythology built about it uh, you know the stories about it um of course it's also said that Queen Maeve came passed through here on her journey on the Thornbow Coolna which was the famous cattle raided coolie when she raided um she went into the brown bowl of coolie because her husband had the white bowl of coolie and she was basically jealous of his one more possession because in those days women could own their own unlike many societies where women once they were married they submitted to their husband and ever they did not own anything but in actual fact in ancient ireland according to the Brehan laws women although there was not a perfectly equal society it wasn't like it was a totally matriarchal society um, there certainly was far more rights for women in compared to many other um, types of societies, say compared to Rome even, or of the, of the day. And we had a very a very complex legal system, which were the Brehan laws. And it was actually very, very definite rules and regulations according to different crimes. There was no jails, but it was, it was both, both done by force of your, how, you know, how, how you're standing in society, because honor was very important. So anyhow, um, she was meant to have come on this journey, on her long journey across from Connacht, from Rathacrochan area, where she had her seat of power, according to mythology, and she walked across the land. In a very unusual uh, journey, now I have to admit, if you were going to Cooley, it wouldn't be where I would go, with the way I would go, but she went through here, through the ancient roads, down past four, Loch Lane, and up towards, which is a nearby lake, which I'll mention later on, up towards Cooley. So we can see this area has been in history for so long and prehistory indeed but anyway for itself is of course associated with saint fehan so if you go walk in through the village and up on the left we have a very old church and there's an old graveyard there very old graveyard in fact my son used to work there for a while doing he was during the summer job he was working doing um you know there was repairs on gravestones and that and uh, they would actually come across old bones ancient bones that have come back up to the surface um after maybe a thousand years because this is a very old spot i mean the 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 actual church is associated with um with saint fehan himself it said that he built this church saint fehan was born in sligo and he set up a church abbeys in several places in balisadere in sligo he also set up one in termin fecken in um near Drogheda, which of course it comes from Tiawan Fehen, which is to do with the church lands of Fehen or the church area or temple area of Fehen. And um but eventually his main spot really was four. And um in four this church, although it is it's it's according to legend, it was he he who built this church, but actually this church itself is said to be come from the ninth century. He himself lived in the seventh century, so the six hundreds 
he lived in. And he, this place was a place of learning. I mean, now it's a sleepy little village, you know, a lovely little village, as I said. I just love the place. It's such an atmosphere in it. Um, but it, back in his day, there were about 300 monks living there and about 2,000 students. So, I mean, this was a hive of activity. And in fact, they said that the place was actually called Balian Lauer at one stage, the town of books. So you're talking a time of when Ireland was the quote unquote, this island of saints and scholars. And we're talking a very particular form of Christianity that was in Ireland at that time. It was very much a Celtic Christianity. And that's in evidence by the holy wells, the rag trees that are there. And in fact, they're they're all over Ireland, as we know, many mentioned many a time, especially the associate Bridget. And the, the Christianity was very much a blend of sort of pagan, many pagan style worship worships along with 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 Christianity certainly would not have been approved uh, of by Rome but Ireland was on the very edge of Europe remember so it was on this you know it was quite disconnected in one sense it was very disconnected but in another sense there was a lot of travel back and forth to Europe in, back in, in Ireland in fact many of the monks went to Europe to um and established their own churches there and, and monasteries many Irish um many Irish saints of that era um so this place was really buzzing um it was uh, a centre place in Ireland, uh, as it were. Unfortunately, poor uh, Fahin himself died of, um, I think it was yellow, fe- yellow fever. He died of the plague, plague of it that was in the area in in the mid um, seven, 7th century. However, it continued to blossom. Now you're talking the 600s, the 700s, the 800s, the 900s, the 1000s, 1100s. So you're talking, you know, hundreds of years, this place was... Um, in full swing, it was. However, it didn't have a, it. Didn't wasn't an unturbulent history. In fact, it was burnt down twelve times. They say, and indeed the Vikings raiding it raided. And we're going to come back to those Vikings in a, in a short while because they're very interesting. We'll come back to him at the end. Particular Viking, which has a little interesting little bit about him, um, because he was a local, well, not a local Viking, but he lived locally, um, and. Uh, but of course, then anyway, in the 1100s, the, the, the Normans arrived in Ireland, and the Normans from Normandy in France, and that was the the, first, the Norman invasion in, by Strongbow. And so, one of the guys who was one of the Normans was um, Walter de Lacy, and he set up a, a Benedictine monastery in um, in the in 30. Well, the, the, well he set it the, the actual monastery that's there today now is in is from the 1300s. Uh, up to the 1500s it it was would you say um it was built on at different at different times and you can see the huge evidence of the norman the norman feel in fact that's what i get when i go there that's the thing i would say there's a je ne sais quoi there's my bit of french there about that area and, and i say that very much very appropriate because i do feel that there's a real french connection and i always felt that kind of atmosphere like i was going to a french village i don't know why except that of course this many this place was hugely associated with France. And I kind of learned that after I felt that feeling, which is, I mean, I knew it was the Normans, but I mean, lots of places are associated with the Normans in Ireland, so that's nothing new. But this had a particular French association. It was a Benedictine, it was a monastery, and it was built across the road. It's the big ruin that we see today, across the road. Um, as I say, 13th, 15th century, um, it was tur- turbulent, so there was tower block, tower um, put on afterwards. Um, which is much more fortified. Um, the, the 13th century was, um, it was a very Norman, a Norman establishment in that time. So much so that in the Anglo-French wars that the English considered for to be French 
place and they attacked it so that's how french it is and there's a remains as you go on the walk you go on one little bit where it goes uphill a little bit um and you go into through the beside the old mott and bailey um uh, fortification there's no castle there now because obviously it must have been a, a, a wooden one and um so therefore there's no remains left and, and interesting i used to always get a feeling coming through that little bit a oh, strange feeling i used to feel it very um kind of almost an oppressive feeling honestly an odd feeling but actually there was and it mainly came from the left side there's another kind of hill you go this little dip as well like a little i would say a valley because there's only a little walkway through a little dip between two the mound of the, the martin bailey and another natural mound on the other side and i only found out afterwards um years ago that this was where the gallows hill so interesting how i got that sense of something i used to thought there was something going to come over that hill i don't know why but anyway that's just interesting um so you can see why there is a French, such a French atmosphere. Now this Benedictine monastery had its headquarters, the, the, the actually in France, because it was connected to the Saint Fehn one, was, one a monastery was connected to Saint Thérèse uh, de Evreux. So, so excuse my French, literally, um, who was and it was in Normandy, and that was their headquarters. So they kind of took their orders from from France very different than a kind of establishment than the Celtic Christian uh, model that had been there beforehand. Um, much more, as I can imagine, rules much more regulated, probably to Rome as well. Um, I couldn't tell you that for certain, but certainly much more of a modern, quote unquote again, um, type of running of a monastery. It's quite a big complex. You can still see the cloisters um, there today, a certain amount of them. Many of them were broken down over the years. Um, because in the 1500s, hundreds, not long came Henry VIII. And of course, as we all know, Henry VIII, um, well, he wasn't a particularly nice guy and he kind of had the whole dissolution of the monasteries all over England and Ireland. And it was done with quite um, a force, I can assure you. Many of them were just destroyed. I believe the abbot there actually was spared because he just said, okay, lads, you take over. He just closed up and walked away and he was grand. But it was handed to the Nugent family who they had it there for years. And indeed a local town, village town, about Nugent's called after the Nugent family and the Black Baron. They didn't have a great reputation generally that that family um, as, as as colonists and they um, they it was destroyed basically the Abbey was destroyed on their watch um, and it just fell into disrepair over the years but St. Fan the, the the holy wells are there there's the holy well uh, of Tubbernacolmi and the other holy well St. Fan's the St. Fan's kitchen well and St. Fan's bath they're called and of course, this is where we come to the um, to the um, to the wonders of four, the seven wonders of four, because one of them is are associated with the well, um, which is associated with a cure for for different ailments as well. Although the well, I think it's dried up now. I can't see any evidence of water there. Quite an amount of water in the general area. Um, it's quite boggy. It, there's a little sort of stream, as I mentioned earlier, on the stream and. Indeed, sometimes it's weird because you walk over the little sort of walkway bridgey thing towards the, the monastery itself and path, and the water is quite stagnant looking. And then all of a sudden, it just seems to be gushing out of the side of this uh, sort of um, little into a ditch. And you're kind of wondering, where did that force of water come from? You know, I, I'm a little, I sometimes to be a bit perplexed. It's in, there's something unusual about the water in that area, I have to admit. And indeed, the water. It's the seven wonders anyway. There are the water that doesn't boil, the wood that doesn't burn, the monastery that was built on a bog, the mill without a race, the lintel raised by the prayers of the saint, 
the water that runs uphill and the hermit or the anchorite in a cell. So the water that doesn't burn or doesn't boil is the water that's in this well. And likewise, the tree. Now, the original tree was supposed to be a three branch tree, tree, but it died. And um, because they said so many people were putting coins into it and it was poisoned over the years. There's, there's a tree again there, there now. And of course, people do hang rags on it. Um, sort of like offerings and thanks for prayer for, for and thanks, perhaps, or praying for a special intention. Um, and that means in, in different formats as, as a prayer to St. Fen or indeed in a pagan, you know, more different, more um, a, a different manner of faith. This, it is all people come for different reasons. So anyway, the wood that doesn't burn, this is you don't try to burn them either and you don't try and boil the water because if you do that, something bad can be, befall you. Like you might just drop dead yourself. Um, the monastery is built on the bog. Yes, the big monastery there. And it is quite an amazing, quite a large, in fact, it's the only um, really Benedictine rune, proper Benedictine rune in Ireland. We were not big in the Benedictines here for some reason. They were very big in the continent, but we were more into the Cistercians seemingly and the Franciscans, but not the Benedictines. So this is quite a, a unique ruin in that sense um so the monastery that was built on the bog yes it was it was a very and they said it was actually probably much boggier back in the day now you can see the boggy element certainly as you walk up to it it itself seems to be fairly solid general area but um it's quite for an extensive a play, building like that on to be built on a sort of a boggy area you'd imagine would be quite a miracle and quite a wonder um, the mill without a race. So the race means the water that's coming. You know, you have the race, the, the water, the mill and the race, the water coming that will dri drive the wheel, that will drive the energy. Um, and it is said that St. Fehan himself wanted this mill built and they laughed at him because they said, there's no water here. So he got it built anyhow and then he put his crozier in the ground and it spring, spring, sprung the spring, as they say. And um, that's what they say coming up from Loch Lane, which is nearby and obviously there to this day but you uh, the mill itself is really not very evident it's kind of just really about i really couldn't really it's it's not really it's not as easy to see as other parts of the ruins that are there um the lintel raised by the prayers of the saint this is the old old church that's up up on the on the left hand side and it said that when they were trying to lift the lintel he prayed and the lintel was able to put up in in place and it was a, it's a massive big heavy lintel and um impossible for an or for men to lift on their own the water that runs uphill is kind of an optical illusion i think it's kind of the way the water comes up from again it's all connected to loch lane the nearby loch lane which is on the other side of the hill um and it is it, it actually you can see it in a sense sometimes i've often stood and watched it and looked and said is that going uphill it does look a bit odd um it's not very defined, you know, it's not like as if you go, oh my God, look at that water running uphill. The hermit that's in the cell. Now this is where we come to this, another building. If you're going into four, you have the old church and up higher up, you have an old church. It's actually not as old, it's 19th century. This is, so the main church part is 19th century, but the tower is from the 15th century tower. And there was a guy called Patrick Beglin who was the last proper hermit of the area. And he lived there for years and years. And he said that he would never be able to leave that place alive. And at one stage he tried to, to actually climb out the window to get out and he fell to his death. So his prophecy became, came true. You can't actually go up into that. It's, it's locked, okay? But you can get the key in the pub. And I've been up there a few times. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a more steeper walk up to it. Um, it's on that hill, it's under the rocks of Balor, the Carrick Balor Hill. And when you go in, it's kind of, um, 
very kind of quite creepy, very cold. It's all slab floor. It's a mausoleum to the Nugent family. And there's, you know, plaques on the wall. But also, weirdly enough, there's bones, like human bones, just in what looks like an altar area, just lying there, just randomly lying there, like leg bones, femurs and whatever. I didn't see any skulls, though. So I don't know who they are. I'm assuming they're part of the Nugent family, and I don't know why they were just left there and not actually buried. So that was um, just in it. But I definitely recommend them because there's this totally different feel off that building than, than the others. Um, and certainly, indeed, there is. So um, lastly, I think um, I want to cover the, a little bit about the Viking. Because we mentioned the Viking earlier on, and the Viking in question who um who was what would you call it he was the the guy who raided this place basically and and he raided quite a lot of places indeed um his oh yeah just before that there's actually a lot of sorry just before back to, to get uh, to this guy oh sorry you said his name there and um, there's a lot of little crosses as well around the area there's 14 little crosses spread out around wide area and you can see one of them in the village in the middle of the village in the the roadway there's a little kind of a I'll say it's a roundabout, it's a little, little area marked off and you have a little few plants in it. And in the middle is one of these ancient crosses. And they were like a pilgrim's way and they're all over dotted around the countryside in fields and along the road. And it would be hard pressed to find them now. I've only ever seen a couple. Um, and sorry, it's lost them on private land anyhow. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that because it is an interesting little aspect of, of, of force. So it just shows you how it was obviously being used as a place of pilgrimage for so long. Um, anyhow, um, back to this Viking. This Viking's name was Turgesius. And Turgesius uh, lived in the, the 9th century. Um, he had his headquarters on Loch, the nearby Loch Lane, which I've actually spoken about several times here. And Loch Lane is actually called, Loch Lane is the, the, actually the Lake of Learning, interestingly enough. And it is, um, or sorry, he was, he was a Norse Viking. And it said he had 120 in his fleet. He's mentioned by that documenter, Geraldus Cambresus, who was Gerald of Wales. Um, he was he was he documented a lot of uh, mid medieval Ireland at the time. And he describes, even though this guy would have lived before him, uh, describes the fleet of 120 ships that came up the Boyne and the Liffey and that he ruled parts of Dublin for a change at time. And he also captured the famous Clonmacnoise. So this there was no messing with this fella. In fact, not only did he do that, he actually went out as far as parts of Spain, which is in the um, held by Muslims at the time, the Muslim, the Moors. Um, he actually travelled as far as there to raid, to raid it. And there was actually a Muslim poet, kind of. Um, he was a poet and a kind of a peacemaker, a kind of um, I suppose a what's the word Dip diplomat. He came to speak to um, to Turgesius at his court and Al-Hakim, obviously to try and maybe negotiate some kind of settlement. So this is guy, he went far, this fellow did. Not a particularly nice guy, obviously, by all accounts. And um, they say he was based on Loch Lane, which is very nearby. Um, and he had an island, it is in the middle of Loch. It's beautiful, beautiful area, that whole area. It's, it's a really, in fact, right now, my daughters went down there to have a, to have a bit of a swim on such a beautiful day. And um, she just finished college and she's just gone down there with a friend. Um, to literally now uh, that's it's a really popular spot with people um, you know going for swim on a beautiful day um, but it's got a huge history say also Maeve is supposed to connect with that as well um, because she might have stopped by Loch Lane as she went through and on into four and on up to uh, Cooley um, 
so unfortunately in the end for Targesius he was actually uh, he was actually defeated by the Irish High King and he they said he was drowned in Loch Owl, which is near Mullingar so um the other interesting little bit and I'll leave you with this is that uh, in 1881 there was a young lad fishing in um, Loch Lane and he fished out a bell and it is thought that this bell was the bell of St. Fechin. That's the association was it was the bell of St. Fechin. Um, I suppose being so near the monastery, it could have been from another monastery, but um, this is the association of it. And that um, that Turgesius had at some stage had robbed it because he had robbed so much from there. Um, and it is now in the National Museum. However, there is also a, a small version of that bell. And the small version of that bell, the replica bell, um, is actually in Dáil Éireann, which is our parliament here. And it is used by the Ceann Corla, who is the, um, what's the word, Speaker of the House. It's the guy who tells people, the politicians, to, to shut up, basically, when they're waffling away for too long. He's the guy who rings the bell and says, in England, they'd be going, order, order. But in Ireland, they just say, sorry, you know, your deputy, please, would you sit down? You've been, you know, been too long and he rings the bell and the bell he rings is an exact replica of saint fehan's bell so there you go and that was robbed by Tregesius. oh one last in bit of information well we don't know if it's information really it's it's not really widely accepted but the historians john o'donovan and charles halliday um have have they have identified Tregesius as actually the famous very famous ragnar lothbrook but that is very questionable still it's just interesting because anyone who's watched the viking series which i have would all know who ragnar lothbrook is and um anyway just for a little bit of a little bit of um audio trivia that could be just legend not well i won't say it's legendary because obviously it, it's not that it's not generally said but it's these historians have said that it's that they've identified him as that person but is it's not um necessarily accepted widely in this in the um academic community still Anyhow, so that's all I have for you today and I hope you enjoyed it and huge apologies for being so late. I have to go out now and paint some garden chairs that were falling apart that I managed to repair the other day and I'm going to put another coat of preservative paint on them. So there you go and I hope you all have a lovely day and I hope it's sunny and nice wherever you are. And um, yeah, thanks so much for listening and I hope to see you soon again and hopefully next week I'll have a new one. Okay. Slán Gafol, Agus Gorin Mila Mahagaf.